I'm going to get into our sermon series on Matthew. Um, James kicked us off the last couple of weeks covering Matthew 1 and 2, which hopefully you connected with the Christmas story, that comment about like, we're still going through the birth of Jesus. It's like it's relevant or something. It's like Jesus is the center of God's story. Something. Whose jacket is this that I'm going to shamelessly throw on the floor? Whoops. You're on my coffee table. Okay. Now we're good. (laughs) So to start us off, I will actually read out um, all of Matthew 3. And I'm doing it in a bit of a different translation. I'm doing it in the kingdom translation. And the reason I picked that is just because sometimes we get kind of this like rote, I've heard this story before. And so mixing up translations sometimes helps us to get things with slightly fresher ears. So reading through Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared. He was preaching in the Judean wilderness. Repent, he was saying, the kingdom of heaven is coming. John, you see, is the person spoken of by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of someone shouting in the desert, prepare the route that the Lord will take, straighten out his paths. John himself had clothing made from camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole area around the Jordan were going off to him. They were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He saw several Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers, he said to them, who warned you to escape from the coming wrath? You'd better prove your repentance by bearing the right sort of fruit. And you needn't start thinking to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Let me tell you, God is quite capable of raising up children for for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already taking aim at the root of the tree. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. I'm baptizing you with water for repentance, John continued, but the one who's coming behind me is more powerful than me. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's got a shovel in his hand, ready to clear out his barn and gather up all his corn into the granary, but he'll burn up the chaff with a fire that will never go out. Then Jesus arrived at the Jordan from Galilee and came to John to be baptized by him. John tried to stop him. I ought to be baptized by you, he said, and you're going to come to me? That's how it's got to be right now, said Jesus. This is the right way for us to complete God's whole saving plan. So John consented, and Jesus was baptized. All at once, as he came up out of the water, water, suddenly the heavens were opened, and he saw God's Spirit coming down like a dove and landing on him. Then there came a voice out of the heavens. This is my son, my beloved one, said the voice. I am delighted with him. So there's three parts of this story that I want to highlight. Um, And I will say, as a heads up, the second part of it, we're going to spend some time in small groups talking with each other. So for those of you who like a nice sense of order, what I'm going to do is part one, part two, part three, but then we're going back to talk about part two. So that means, again, we have to actually listen to what is going on. So starting with part one, clean up your act. So we hear more about the background of John in the book of Luke. But in Matthew, we just get like thrown into it. This guy just shows up in the desert and he is telling people to repent, to change their ways. The kingdom of God is coming. Get ready. 
And once again, I have a few um, questionably AI-generated images for my slides. You might have been wondering what is going on with this guy. Um, I think he's missing part of a foot here. <laughs> um, there were a few that came up that had like the wrong number of fingers or just like extra arms. But this one, I, I like to imagine this scene where I imagine this is this guy's like home office area, and over on this side he's got a desk. Um, and like behind him is this nice pristine background that he uses for his work meetings. But on the other side that the camera can't see looks like this. Some of you, it might look like your own home office. And he's just been piling things. Like he hasn't putting, been putting things away. Um, he's just been letting them turn into this giant pile. And he knew it was a problem. Like he knew there's something going on, but he didn't view it as urgent. And then, to make this hypothetical scene come together, imagine he had family coming to visit. And usually, they were quite content to sleep on this air mattress on the other side of the room. But where are they going to put it with this pile? He realizes he has to clean up his act. He has to do something with this mess he's made. Um, and so when we think about what he has to do, it is not simply stop making a mess. Dude's got to clean up this mess that he made. Uh, he needs to change his ways, not just not throwing stuff on the floor, but making right what he had done, putting things where they belong. So when we hear this call to repentance, Yes, it starts with stop doing the wrong thing, like stop sinning, stop doing what God says we're not supposed to be doing. But biblical repentance also has this element of cleaning up our messes, making things right, um, helping to repair the harm that we've caused. So John exclaims, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he makes this harsh comment towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to point out, again, how these people who were supposedly in positions of religious power, they were supposed to be mediating God's love and grace. They were not doing what was right. They were acting like God didn't notice who they were or what they were doing. And this call to repentance, every time we hear it, it should sit with us, right? There should be something within us that we realize that's not who God's calling us to be. That's not who God is calling me to do, to, how to live, what to do. And God does care deeply about how we live, how we treat others, what we do with what God has given us. It's these ongoing calls to discipleship that you probably hear from whoever is standing up here pretty much every week. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus, even when it means dying to ourselves. When I hear this call to repentance, there's that, that element that feels harsh, like that hard teaching of, yes, your choices matter, your life matters, you have to make a change. But the, the other side of it is this refreshing breeze or cry of hope. And I want to start with that hope piece first, because this call to repentance reminds all of us that God does care about what's right. And so especially for those who have been hurt and abused and run over by the powerful, the gospel tells them, like, you're not strangers. You're welcome in here. And the people who are doing what's wrong need to change their ways. We're invited to be in God's community. And this call for repentance is for everyone, right? It's like there's not somebody who's too far gone. And so people who thought they were excluded, thought they were left out, they're hearing this message that, no, God calls you, and you can repent, you can change. There's not some sin that is uniquely unforgivable that God says, nope, 
too far gone, not welcome anymore. This encounter with God tells us that God's grace is enough. But it is still a hard teaching because it does demand action. It does not mean him sitting on the floor and saying, I'm sorry I let it get this way. It means getting up and making a change. So I have a few scriptural examples of biblical repentance. Um, and I picked examples from throughout scripture. Um, that true repentance means looking at this harm that we've caused and finding ways to help make it right. And so a few of these examples um, in Exodus, if you go through, I think it's about the first half of Exodus 22, there's this whole like system of like formula of um, repayment, like depending on if it was a sheep that was stolen or a cow or like some things, it was like a one-to-one, other things you had to pay back double or four times or five times in order to make things right. That it wasn't just a inherently like a, oh, oops, slap on the wrist. It meant repaying what was damaged. And Zacchaeus knew this. So when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus and he hears that call to repentance, Zacchaeus is one of those who might have thought, oh, I'm too far gone. I'm not going to be welcomed back in because of how I've betrayed my people. But when he encounters Jesus, he realizes he is welcome into God's people. And his repentance led to this instant declaration If I've cheated anyone, I'll repay them four times. And if you checked in Exodus, that would be on the the sheep scale. So, I don't know, like not the cow scale, the sheep scale. And then Paul also writes about this, um, that those who had been stealing should steal no longer, but should do something productive with their hands, so that they had something to give to others. So we're not bound to this Israelite formula of a, is this a sheep problem or a different type of animal problem? But the same spirit is there, right? Like you've done a wrong, you've stolen something, you've harmed somebody. It's not simply saying, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. It's turning around and helping to clean up the mess that we've made. And it's this ongoing journey, right? Like it's not a one-time, like one decision to fix it and it's happily ever after. Because as you consider these costs, it's the, the thought of, okay, it's one thing to say, okay, I won't steal anymore. But to consider, do I go back to the store and offer to pay for things? What if they want to report me to the police? What if, like, all of these things, like, those are the costs. And a lot of these things, I think we need to be having conversations with each other about, so what is the right restoration? How do I make this right? And the gravity of life just keeps dragging us back in. Like, it just keeps dragging us towards the wrong things. So we need to hear this call to repentance over and over and over again. So at this point, I'm going to pause for a moment. I forgot to mention this in the intro um, because I I don't want to spend a long time here on something that I think is a more of a private reflection, but I do want to spend enough time here so that you do it later in the week, if that makes sense. Um, So I have a couple of questions on here. Um, So in keeping with John the Baptist's call, where might you need to repent? And so I'm going to have this on the screen for a couple of minutes. Um, and I would like for each of us to pray through that a little bit, like consider an area of your life where you might need a change, might need to repent. And I want you to, however you're taking notes, mark some of that down and put a calendar reminder, like make a note to spend more time on this later in the week. Because I think this is not the kind of thing where it's like 30 seconds. I mean, maybe there's something that you know God is convicting you of right now. Um, but I want you to spend some time later in the week. So we'll spend, I think, I think I'll sit on this for two minutes. 
and then we'll get to the next part. Hey, that's two minutes. Cool. So, part two, with another questionably AI-generated image. I really had a hard time. Like, I went through so many different potential iterations on this one, and I could not get a guy wearing camel skin, because every time I said skin, it just did, like, human skin. There <laughs> were several that were like, I am not showing that in church. <laughs> and I think it ended up giving him the wings from the locust instead of having, like, locusts he's eating. So... But I think that this one really captured, like, would you want to listen to this guy? <laughs> um, and I'm going to borrow from Matthew 11 for this next part. Um, but in Matthew 11, um, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. John was weird. You know, he looked weird. He's eating bugs. He's got that camel skin situation going on. Um, very much in the tradition, tradition of some of the biblical prophets of just being odd. And the people, like the nice, proper, educated people are like, I do not want to listen to that kind of thing. And he's ruffling the feathers of, you know, the, the status quo. He's not properly dressed. He's not properly rabbinically educated in the full path to become a full-on Pharisee. But he's speaking God's word. And that was jarring. You know, that's something that could shake people up. And again, like the biblical tradition of prophets, at least he didn't have to like lie on his side for 370 days or whatever it was or marry a prostitute. Um, when it comes to the choice between would you rather eat locusts or eat bread cooked over the dung of an animal? I don't know. Being a prophet was a, a special calling. Um, but just think about like that. Like, who do you want to listen to? Who would you rather be listening to? And so I was, I was chewing through this of like, who is it that I would rather listen to? Who is it that I would, you know, trust what their voice is, um, as opposed to thinking, oh, they, they have something a little off kilter. Um, and then at this point in sermon prep, I realized that I was basically like recycling one of the same points that I had used the last time I preached. Um, and again, maybe, maybe there's a reason I keep thinking about it. Um, but the last Sunday that I had preached here was the Advent sermon on Shalom. So clearly we are not escaping from the Christmas story. Uh, but in that sermon, I was talking about how the peace of God redeems, that God redeems people and calls them back even though our sinfulness and our sinful nature often divides. And thinking about this, again, these human-made divisions about who we want to listen to and who God actually uses to speak to us. There's no human-made division that God's redemption can't reach across. And I think that what we see is that sometimes God is intentionally using those in order to teach us something, where the messenger is the message. And this came back up in, um, in our bagel theology back in November um, when our, our guest speaker had referenced how there was that revival that came out of the Jesus movement. So there's this bunch of hippies who were seen as druggies and slackers and anti-war countercultural losers, but they were seekers. And so this, this Jesus movement sprung up from people who were rejecting a lot of aspects of 20th century American society that... Honestly, Jesus probably would have rejected as well. And yeah, they made some mistakes along the way. 
And they were seeking, and they found God through that. And that was brought up in the Bagel Theology because Bruce Miller mentioned that God is moving within people who have been marginalized or left out of mainstream church culture, people who fall under umbrellas like sexual minorities, people who identify with queerness, people who don't fit into boxes. And it's it's this burden that people carry that oh, so often church culture is just like, we don't know what to do with you, and they get marginalized. And I'm not talking about changing our understanding of how God made people to be. That's a much longer conversation. But I'm talking about how do we connect with people who God is calling. God wants to redeem people. And I think that we're going to see more and more examples of people who come from perspectives that are standard church culture struggles with, that we don't know what to do with people. And the question for us becomes, when that revival comes, are we listening? Will we listen regardless of how strange the messenger may look to us? Um, for John the Baptist, he came with <laughs> eating locusts and wearing camel skin. And I just wonder what that might look like for us. I think some of those divisions are often things like, maybe we only want to listen to somebody with a college degree or two. Or maybe we only want to listen to people who don't have a degree. Maybe we don't like people because they're too old. Somebody who's born in the middle of the previous century might be out of touch. Or maybe you don't want to listen to people who are born in this century because they don't get your references to old TV shows. And that's what we're going to spend more time on in small group discussion in a few minutes. Uh, but I mentioned that I have a part three. So I'm going to briefly cover this third part about the baptism of Jesus, and then we'll get part, back to part two. So there's this part at the end of the chapter about the baptism of Jesus, and it highlights this way that Jesus came to earth. Jesus walked among us. Jesus lived as a human. Again, if, in case you missed all of December and the last couple of weeks, Jesus came as a baby. Like that was God's, the center of God's story is to have Jesus come as an in, infant. Jesus was not morphed from orked onto earth. Jesus became man and walked among us. And that is my example of a reference that was probably too old for a lot of you. <laughs> yeah, some of us. <laughs> like, that's definitely too old for me, but it's a good reference, okay? Um, but yeah, so I was trying to read through some different commentaries, and I got so stuck in these arguments about, you know, what does this say about baptism? If we view the baptism as bringing the Holy Spirit, wasn't the Holy Spirit always with Jesus? And people are just like arguing. And I'm I'm torn. I, I Part of me thinks somebody who is wiser and more educated than I can will be able to teach well on this. And then the other part of me thinks God is so much bigger than our understanding. We can't put God into these nice little doctrinal boxes. And I don't know which one it is. Um, but I didn't want to just skip it because, again, there's something significant in here about how Jesus is, again, the center of God's story. So this life of Jesus, everything about the fullness of what it means to be human through, through birth and baptism and death and all these things in between, there's something going on there. Again, maybe somebody will preach on it here. Maybe we all should be studying the scriptures a bit more on our own. I don't know. So I wanted to make that little detour. Um, but then I'm going to go back to point two. And I hope that I left this short enough. I think yeah, we've got plenty of time for this. Um, so these questions are also going to be emailed out to our small groups. And so since we tend to sit near people we already spend time with, 
I would like us to reshuffle a little bit. I would like you to get in groups with people you are not in small group with. Um, if I say everybody move, that means you'll end up on the opposite side of the room with the same people. So I need about half of you to move. <laughs> Um, so when I say the word, um, I would like for about half of us to rearrange. Oh, I've got discussion questions on the next one. There we go. Um, so this is your discussion question in groups of three to four people. Just work through some of that. Like, who is it that you're prone to want to trust? Like, who, who do you like hearing from? And who does God use to challenge you? Who is it that you might not necessarily want to hear God's truth from? Um, uh, and then how might God be using these? So if you've got examples of that, um, share that with your group. So does that make sense? Okay, cool. Um, so I guess I, I think the proper way to, to dismiss, again, in keeping with out-of-date references, the proper way to dismiss for move to your groups is um, nanu nanu. That laughter shows how many people get the reference. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so go find some fresh groups, and we will wrap up from there.